0: We have Alicia Jarrett on the call. Alicia, I really appreciate your time, and if you hear me use the word the term AJ, that's I'm referring to Alicia. But uh, <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Alicia, uh, this is this is going to be a great conversation. But before we do, I'm going to point everybody to the show notes because you have a couple offers available where they can supercharge offers intro call, as well as supercharge offers next steps call um in their calendarly links. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have those links in the show notes, but you can also go to the superchargeoffers.com website uh, for the primary aspect of this. So uh, Alicia, I really appreciate this. We're gonna be talking about virtual real estate investing today.
1: Love it, Jack. Let's jump in. It's virtual because you're speaking with me in Australia. So if anyone's listening to my accent right now I'm wondering where on earth i am yes i am in the future and uh mm-hmm. it's saturday over here and friday for you so thanks for having me on jack
0: yeah no i appreciate it and and uh we're gonna have com- combative accents because you can sometimes when i get going you'll hear my my northern minnesotan accent sure <laughs> I love it. yeah I, I spend any time with my uncles and it gets it gets really thick but anyway so This this is fascinating. Everybody is really interested in virtual real estate investing. You're doing it from the other side of the planet, so uh, I I gotta first start asking like why why haven't you why don't you invest in your backyard to begin with begin with
1: Oh, how much time have we got for that answer, Jack? So (laughs) first of all, I will start off by saying you know virtual real estate investing. I think a lot of us get into this real estate investing game let's call it because we all want to kind of work our own hours and work from anywhere in the world and my partner Matt and I always say as long as we've got a laptop and a phone and we've got good wi-fi we can do deals anywhere so I think you know people hear the term virtual and go what does that mean for me it's the, the freedom of being able to work anywhere but why don't we invest in Australia oh good question so Here's some differences I just want to point out. And as I point these out, Jack, I just want anybody listening who is in the U.S. just to pause for a second and appreciate just how good you guys have it. So in the U.S., you've got lots of freedom to look at data, data on property owners, properties themselves, the background of those properties, the history, where the owners, you know, have they got a mortgage? Is there back taxes? Are there liens? Is is there all this stuff going on? And you can market to those people direct. Uh, In Australia, that's almost non-existent. So our privacy laws on data, first of all, are so locked down that you really can't find out the majority of that information to be able to do direct marketing to, to people. So that's number one. Second thing though is entry to market. So just as a comparison um, for you, Jack, pretty much the whole of Australia is almost like, I would say San Francisco, it is expensive. We have, and so I live in Melbourne, Australia, so that's down down south for anybody wondering. Uh, Melbourne is a city of 5 million people. It's It's an amazing city to live in, but the average house price, and I'm talking the average house price here is now over a million. Um, and even just to get vacant land, you like in the inner city area, very, very rare, very rare. does vacant land ever become available? Most of the time it's you buy a property with a house on it and have to knock that house down and rebuild it. So entry to market costs there are huge. And when land does get released in the outer areas of Melbourne, people actually take tents and they camp out for days to be the first one to buy that property. (laughs) So it's very difficult to do property over here. It's not impossible. We have done uh, rental properties over here and and we love the market in Australia, but the entry to market and the ability to do your marketing effectively and, and have intel on the market is so different to how it is in the US. So doing business in the US, it's just easier, Jack.
0: So when, when you were making that decision on investing in the United States, did you consider any other areas of the world? Yeah, but we, we kind of looked at, at a few things around the world. But again, most other countries, um,
1: even, you know, Spain and Italy, there's some great opportunities over there. But the entry to market is high. The ability to get data is also limited. So for, for most of it, it really comes down to the, the how to do business. Um, Because in every country you go into, you can do deals as long as you've got the right amount of capital to be able to go into that market and do deals. And you've got the wherewithal to know how to navigate that market. And you can pretty much do deals anywhere. But in the US, everything is so much more simpler. Uh, So when we when we kept doing our research, we just kept coming back to the fact that the access to information, the different strategies that you can do. So even down to Jack, the fact that um, we do vacant land, by the way, in the US, we've done houses, we've done fix and flips. We now focus solely on vacant land. Um, and the fact that we've got so many exit strategies that we can do, you know, we can easily go to the county and subdivide that land and sell it off with just a, a plat map done. We can sell our finance properties ourselves and we become the bank. You just can't do that over here, and in most places in the world, that's not how people do business. So, mm-hmm. the decision was pretty easy, Jack.
0: So, uh, you you talked about the the processes that you have to do here now from from a distance. Could you kind of fill us in a little bit as to like what processes? What do you have to have boots on the ground in the United States? Do you like? Talk a little bit how you do some of these and maybe some of the tools that you leverage.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Another awesome question and a big one. So let me start off with where we start with how we invest. So first of all, like any good real estate investor, researching your market, researching the buyer and seller demand, the demographics, the, you know, the, the growth markets, all of those different things to research and pinpoint where we want to do deals. Then it's a case of making sure that we can have access to the right data to do those deals. And then it's about marketing. And marketing really, there's so many people out there, Jack, that are awesome at doing real estate deals, but they're not so awesome at marketing. Mm -hmm. So you've really got to think about omni-channel marketing these days, omni being present everywhere. Direct mail, online ads, websites, um, retargeting, Facebook, social media, everywhere that you need to go because you're now dealing with uh, sellers and buyer markets, but let's just focus on acquisitions for the moment. When you're focused on an acquisition market, you're dealing with all types of property owners now from their 20s when they've inherited properties all the way up to maybe their 90s where they've been sitting on properties for decades and haven't done anything. So you need to make sure that you're marketing in a way that allows anybody across any of those generational um, spectrums to do business with you in any way that they choose so we pick our market we pick the data and we market out to everybody in all ways possible so that they can easily get in touch with us we then get a property under contract um, and we might then buy and hold that property buy and sell that property wholesale that property sell seller finance it we then think about the exit strategies so at a high level that that's the end-to-end kind of deal process and might i add as well jack we've actually created our own marketing real estate company now um, or real estate marketing company i'll put it that way around where we can actually do all of that for um, for other people as well because people just get stuck on the minutiae and the, the overthinking of how to do do this stuff secondary to that so the other part of your question is the boots on the ground um, yes, we do have boots on the ground. Now, Early on, when we were first learning how to do all this, we spent a fair amount of time in the U.S. We would fly over a few times a year and spend a few months there and check out our markets, get to know um, local realtors, local title companies, and really put those relationships in place. Um, now, Jack, we basically focus on Florida. That That's the core of our business. So we've got fantastic realtors, um, one in particular that we have... Mm-hmm had on our team since day one. He helped us actually buy our first ever fix and flip um, and he still works with us today. We've got title companies, probate attorneys, um, accountants, um, a CFO. We've got all these people on the ground that can help us. Um, And really it's about these days, there's so many services, Jack, and maybe I'll I'll give you a link to to pop in the show notes as well. Um, There's some fantastic services that you can just, hire people to go and do little things for you, whether it's you know, hiring someone from we go Look, which is a website that you can say to someone, hey, can I pay you to go and drive to this property and video call me and walk me through, um, mm. all the way through to Craigslist, there's loads of people on Craigslist that will do services for you, all the way through to more of the more professional services if you like for a company called myusaservice.com and that's the one I'll give you a link for Sure. Where you can hire people to go and do wet signings for you, so you can pretty much get anybody to do anything these days virtually.
0: Yeah, you know it's sign. it's been interesting <laughs> real estate investing, especially over the course of the last couple of years, right? You know, yeah, in, definitely. where where I'm living. We had lockdowns for longer periods of time than some of the other parts of the country. And um, it forced us to get kind of creative regarding some of our stuff. So yeah. in a way, we had to adopt some of this vir- like virtual real estate investing tools and strategies. And to be frank, some of them work so well, I've, I'm still using them today.
1: Yeah. And this is probably for me, the, one of the, the silver linings of, of COVID there, there's not many silver linings and we, I live in the most locked down city in the world. We we take that record. Awesome. But um, <laughs> what I do love, I agree with you, Jack. What I do love is that things like title companies, county property appraisers, county tax assessors, like they've all had to adapt uh, a lot in the way that they're now doing business. And so that's really helped us as real estate investors, even if you're based in the States and you're just doing business in another state. Um, or if you're doing it in another county, like there's so many more things now that are at our fingertips to be able to to do deals and do them well.
0: So you mentioned you started with flipping houses. How yeah. was that remotely? And then, and then there must have been something or a story associated with yes. transitioning to land.
1: <laughs> I guess, first of all, what I'd say before I tell you the story is as a real estate investor, I think it's always really important to review your strategy is your strategy working, is the market where you need it to be, is the market that you're in going through a certain cycle um, and therefore do you need to alter your strategy or alter your asset class? And that's exactly what we did a few years ago. So we've now been investing in the States for more than five years. Um, We love doing houses. We had, you know, teams of contractors on the ground that we had a project manager that we were keeping in touch with. We did some amazing uh, fix and flips that really warmed my heart because we were really focused on areas that were more about um, what I would call opportunity housing as opposed to affordable housing, because oh, sure. we want the opportunity to, to help neighbourhoods that banks had forgotten, um, to help people get back into homes. We did a small multifamily that we ended up putting some really wonderful people that just needed roofs over their heads and get back into, you know, feeling like they had homes. Um, and I loved it, so there, we were more on the lower end then we switched our strategy and we went to the higher end. We did a property in the you know, the, the half a million uh, range. And let's just say, Jack, that one didn't go to plan. Mm. <laughs> we should have stuck with our strategy and because our strategy was working. But also at that stage, when we went to this bigger property, it was also at the time uh, when HGTV was probably one of the most watched channels on, on mm. television, where everybody wanted to get into the fix and flip game everybody wanted to, to get, you know put their hand at creating a, an ugly diamond on, on the street into a beautiful polished diamond. And so we were finding at that time too that also the, the competition to keep contractors on was just rife. like people were mm-hmm. paying through the roof for contractors and we were getting people stealing from our, our sites, stealing stuff as well as stealing our people. Um, we were also finding that getting an off- market deal, was all of a sudden getting really difficult because we were marketing to people direct, our realtor was going and contacting people direct and those people, you know, their response used to be, yeah, I'm happy to talk to you about my property. Very quickly that turned into, hey, you're the 10th person to call me this week, like, whoa. Um, So we found that there was a real shift in the market very quickly. So then we had to pause and say, well, okay, does that fit with our strategy anymore? Like is what we're doing working? And the answer that we came back with is, No, it's not. So let's look at a different strategy. So we did some research on some different asset classes and, again, really looking at particularly if you're doing real estate investing remotely, what is the asset class and the ways of doing business in that asset class that make it easier for you to also do business from anywhere in the world? And vacant land just kept coming up. So we started doing vacant land about just over four and a half years ago now and haven't looked back it's awesome. Anyone that drives past a piece of vacant land probably looks at it, Jack, and goes, "Doesn't even think about it." Uh, yeah. But we drive past vacant land and go, "Ooh, what can we do with that?"
0: <laughs> so, talk a little bit about the, the your the vacant land. Then do you do you typically try to take get vacant land that's near sprawling areas, places that the the town or city is growing, yeah, or, we, or we lots do. that are vacant in within town, or do you talking about farmland? I mean, what is all, all that of the
1: above, Jack? Like? all of the above and the reason being i say all of the above some people get really focused on their strategy and just want to do infill lots or maybe they want to do acreage we do it all because there's always a seller and there's always a buyer and there's always an exit strategy for each of those so when we focus on infill lots we will then look at those strategies and say okay let's look at who's buying in the area and market to those people direct to say hey we have bought this property do you want it or let's market to the neighbours and see if they want to buy and make their properties bigger. Um, and a lot of neighbours now, they're they're getting pretty protective of what's getting built next door, right? So mm-hmm. infill lots have a strategy. Acreage has a strategy where we can either sell it depending upon the zoning of the property. We might look to a rezone, we might look to subdivide um, if it's close to other areas that have had subdivisions uh, done on that, or we might look to just, you know, sell it to local farmers as well. So We will look at any and all properties because there's always a market for each deal. And then looking at those deals on their merits and saying, okay, well, do we want to buy that property? Is there an exit strategy we could do with that? If there is, and the numbers add up, we'll do the deal. Um, If there's not an exit strategy or if there's lots of problems with that property, the first thing that we will do is look to say, how can we fix those problems? Because here's the thing as well, Jack real estate investors and and i say this with the biggest of hearts because i love realtors and we've got some fabulous friends who are realtors but let's face it realtors do not want to deal with problem properties so if there's probates liens if there's title issues if there's boundary issues if there's access issues they don't want to touch them we will though we'll look at the property and we'll work with the the current property owner to really help try and resolve any of those issues Mm -hmm. um, to then be able to buy the property and make that property usable. Otherwise that property just sits there for decades and the problem gets passed down to the next generation. I can't tell you, Jack, how many people we speak to that are like I've inherited this property now, but I've also inherited the problem.
0: (laughs) Right. So you're, you're focusing in Florida. Like what talk, talk a little bit about, how you develop your your mailing list or your marketing list? How do you, how do you find the properties that you're marketing to?
1: Yeah, really good question. So the first thing is is making sure that we're clear on our property criteria, and property criteria being what type of property. Um, zoning, location, zip codes, subdivisions, what's the areas that we want to go after, but then also looking at the owner attributes of those properties as well. And all of these things that I'm saying as well, Jack, these are, are data points.
0: Mm-hmm. Ownership
1: type, is it a, a corporation, an LLC, a trust, a, a church, an individual? Like what's the owners that we want to, to target? How long have they owned the property for? Are they behind on taxes? Um, you know, is is there... Has the property changed hands with a $100 quick claim? Therefore, it might be an inherited property. So all of these things create the strategy of where do we want to go and who do we want to target? In terms of the data, um, a lot of people go to a data retailer. Uh, There's lots of data retailers out there. We actually have our own real estate marketing company that we have invested really heavily in. And mainly, if I can stop and pause on that for a second, Jack, when we started, we were doing what everybody else was taught go to a data provider download a list put that into a mail merge and send direct mail but we just noticed that well now we're just a small fish playing in a, a very big pond of other small fish and everybody's doing the same thing so we really wanted to say well how can we make that more effective more efficient and increase our conversion rates so we started our own real estate marketing company <laughs> so where we get our data from is actually our own data warehouse so our data warehouse is housed in the cloud. It's got more than 154 million property records in it, all of the owner attributes, more than 65 million business records in it. And you might think, why business records? Well, a lot of our customers that we're helping in our real estate marketing business, they're doing things like self-storage, mobile home parks, retail strips, commercial properties. Often those asset classes have got less to do with the property and more to do with the business. Uh, as well. So we're combining those data sets. So we then go and pull that data. We then cleanse that data. We've got a team of people that go through and parse the data, verify the data, make sure it's super clean, put it through like national change of address verification. The the thing that I think we've gotten very good within our business, Jack, is that data drives everything. And if Mm -hmm. your data isn't good or it's out of date or it's not clean and it's not managed really, really well, that kind of shows up in your business later on. Um, and we experienced that early on because we were just doing what we were told and we'd pull data and we'd mail and two or three months' time we'd go into our CRM and it was like, oh, that's not up to date. That's, that's not right. Um, that property is not the same as what's in the county site. So we were just finding these inconsistencies. So we said, dang it, we'll do this ourselves. Uh, so that's why we created supercharged offers and, and all of the marketing that we do for our own business the exact system that we put in place for all the online and offline acquisitions marketing we we do. And everything in that Jack is, is data driven.
0: So, you know, just based on what you've said there, and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're tailoring your message depending on the audience on the buyer and the seller side. Yeah. So if you're dealing with a farmer, you're sending a different piece of mail versus somebody who might be like a vacant lot in the middle of a, of a city
1: correct now we're not doing that to a minute scale but we are doing that on a mass scale so for example our latest mailing that we did we've got a certain letter that we're sending you know properties that are maybe 0.15 acres up to maybe five acres that are more urban mm-hmm. we're sending them a, a different marketing letter to what we are for people that have acreage that might be zoned agricultural or you know rural where we're we're sending them letters to say hey we're actually buying like larger lots in your area and we are looking to do you know forced appreciation with those lots we know that you've been sitting on the land for quite some time and maybe you don't know how to do that or where to start so would you like to work with us on that so again it's making sure that market message match you've really got to think through like marketing strategies as to what you're sending out and how you're sending that out and how you're allowing those sellers to see you and hear from you in that omni-channel that I mentioned earlier. Sometimes they might get the letter and not read it and they'll just be like, there's just another letter. So as long as they're now seeing you pop up on Google everywhere, then it's like, oh, these people again. Or maybe they see an ad and they didn't get the letter because maybe, I don't know, they check their mail once a month and somebody else opened it and threw it away. So now they're seeing you pop up on their social media and they're clicking through and going, oh, yeah, these guys. So you've always got to make sure that your marketing and your your message is is really hitting your your target audience in the way that you want.
0: Sure. So when you, you, you've you mentioned letters a, a couple times there now. Um, I've, I've talked to other land investors and they send out blind offers. Is that something you do in, as part of your Yeah, we,
1: we do all of it. So we do blind offers. Um Particularly, I would say, we're doing blind offers in areas that we've done quite a few deals in. So we know that area reasonably well. So so that particular county, we know what the tolerances are between where sellers are sitting and where buyers are sitting. We're also pulling from our own database, we're pulling sales reports for that area to really look at what's the buyer activity. Because honestly, Jack, the last six months has been very different to the picture of the last 18 months. So we always need to have our finger on the pulse with, What's the buyer market doing? Because there's no point in doing a blind offer strategy if you don't know what the market's actually doing with Mm -hmm. the the buyer and seller demand activity around those. In new areas that we don't know very well, or maybe in in a lot of the acreage that we're doing, we're not doing a blind offer. We're sending just like a one-page introductory letter. There's just asking them for their interest and to give us a call to talk about their property, particularly if their property's got problems that they haven't been able to solve. Like, give us a call. Let's talk about that. Let's see if we can help you. Um, So different, again, different strategies for different types of properties and different markets that we're in. And I think if I can just add one more thing to that. In our marketing business, we have a lot of people come to us and say, I just want to do blind offers and fast track everything. It's not necessarily a fast track because you've still got to do research and often you need to do a lot more research to get your blind offers right. And once you've priced your offers, you still need to go through and review and go, well, have I got those right? And even when someone sends you back a signed offer, you've still got to go and run your comps and check, is that offer right? So blind offers is a numbers game. Um, And I think some people think that it's about, you know, sending out an offer and getting them back and going for it. No, there's still all those checks and balances in place. So, you know, making sure you get that right is also pretty critical to um, your conversion rates.
0: Sure. Well, outside of contacting you through superchargedoffers.com, if we haven't mentioned that yet, if somebody was interested in getting into land as a real estate investing strategy, what type of land do you think somebody should start in? Would it be would it be the farming land? Would it be something like where where do you think somebody should start?
1: Yeah, so where I think they should start is is not to answer that question, but where they should start is to do research in growth markets, and then in those growth markets, what are the counties in those growth markets? What are the, the cities, not necessarily the biggest cities, but more of the urban cities, and and what what are people actually buying and selling in those areas? And you really need to understand the supply and demand of those markets to then go, okay, well, I'm going to jump into that market because there's a lot of people buying acreage, so great, I'll jump in there and do acreage. Or in another market you might research and it's like there's a lot of people in there buying anywhere between say two to five acres, just on the outskirts of, of these cities. So I'm going to jump in there and do those. So rather than answering, yes, you should do these properties or yes, you should do those. I would say, make sure that your research on buyer and seller activity, days on market, demand for properties and um, you know, what people are actually transacting. Let that, let your research then dictate what types of properties you should start with.
0: Sure, okay. So you've been doing this for five years now, uh, you know, part of this show is, and if you ever listen to the intro, we, t- we ask, you know, uh, what you've tried and failed and what, what some of your biggest successes. So give us some examples of like some, a couple things that you tried and it just, it just didn't work out. And, uh, uh, you learned from you learned your lesson, if you will.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. So what I will say is, is I'll go back to that, that house that we did, we, we just, we tried a different strategy that was outside of what our strategy was and it didn't work and i think sometimes you've got to pause and not be attracted by the bright shiny thing over here because that's what we did we saw this particular house and we were like wow if we just polish this house in a certain way this is going to be magical and it was the worst deal i think we've ever done and it's because we deviated out of what we said we were going to do. So I think the the biggest learning for us was when you've got a strategy, stick with it and don't chop and change all the time because mm-hmm. you've got to give your strategy time to like any good wine, Right. It needs it needs years to kind of mature and, and and get really um get really good. So you've got to find your strategy, test a few things and then stick with it. Um, because if you keep chopping and changing, you'll never really know what's working or what's not working. So that would be my, my biggest one. What was the second part to your question, Jack?
0: Well, uh, the, the other part is, uh, well, let's just jump into the next piece was like, could you give us, like, tell us a little bit or a story about your biggest win?
1: Biggest win. It would be a particular property that we sold earlier this year. Um, and again, this is where I think being a real estate investor, you've also got to know how to take calculated risks. So we brought a 13-acre property in uh, Hillsborough County, Florida. We bought it about just before COVID, actually. It was about just two and a half years ago. And out of these 13 and a half acres, more than 10 acres of it was wetlands. But we knew that the wetlands could be mitigated, that there was no um, species or flora or fauna on the wetlands that were protected. And knowing the area, we could see that other people had also mitigated wetlands and made them usable. And so we thought, you know what, this is a risk, but let's take it. So we bought the property all in, including closing costs. We bought it for $10,000 and we were like, all right, what can we do with this? So that was one that we decided to purchase as opposed to wholesale, because we knew that we needed to look into this one a little bit more. Um, It took us two years, but we finally, after doing surveys, delineation reports, getting some engineers involved and investing some time and effort in really understanding what could and couldn't be done with that property, we finally found a buyer, and it was someone who wanted to develop it. <clears throat> and they bought it for one hundred ninety-seven thousand. So, oh, wow. you know, that was a good deal. Um, there was there was a little bit that we put into it, but you know, profit at the end of the day was just over one hundred and sixty, and that for me is. I would do those all day long. But the key is here, it took us more than two years to get that profit realised. But this is where being a real estate investor, you need to get real on the turnaround times of some of your deals. You know, I think unfortunately, and I say this again with the utmost respect, but I see a lot of real estate educators out there that say, you know, do deals with no money down. Start making money on month one. And it's simply not true. Um, Even when you're doing when I say do deals with no money down, yes, you can do a deal with no money down and get that deal under contract and wholesale it, but to get that deal, you need to set up your organisation, your marketing, your data, your mailing. You need to do all that stuff to, to be a business, to be able to do deals. So right. I think sometimes people expect that the, the get-rich-quick is going to be there, but it's not. It takes time and effort and, and sometimes these big payoffs do happen, but you've got to have patience, persistence, a strategy. Um, you've got to have some cash to invest into creating your business and being able to, you know, stand in your business and, and do it well.
0: Well, and then I think everybody relies on like one deal here and there, and they put all their eggs in that one basket. How many properties did you review and market to to find that one that produced such great results?
1: Yeah, our, our ratio tends to be about 500 to 1. Um, so every 500 uh, mailers or offers that we send out, we might get back, you know, 50 of those to, to review, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending upon um, which area we're in. And then out of those, we might get two or three deals. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people go, I'll send out a whole bunch and I'll get all these properties. Well, no, that depends upon the type of property you're going after, the county that you're in, how many other people are in their marketing, like there's so many factors that are involved. And the other thing I would say to that as well, Jack, is when you go out and and become a real estate investor, you've also got to think about your time and energy to service these leads. One of the biggest things that I see in real estate investors that makes them not successful, one is consistency. So that lack of consistency with keep sending your offers and keep sending your mailers because eventually that engine starts to happen. So consistency Mm -hmm. is one, but also not following up your leads. A lot of people get scared to jump on the phone and talk to your sellers and talk to your buyers Um, or Mm -hmm. they run the numbers and go, oh, that deal's not great. So they don't call the person and that starts to leave a taste in the seller's mouth of, well, you know, I asked for an offer. Where have you gone? And I think making sure that the consistency and that, that customer service element is there, then, yeah, you're going to get deals. It's when that starts to not be consistent or you don't get back in touch with your leads that, you know, you're going to end up being more like a thousand to one, more than 500 to one.
0: Yeah, it is that consistent, persistent behavior. And since you have a marketing firm, I know, you know, when when we started real estate investing, it it was on average, it took me seven touches on average to get somebody to respond, but I think it's climbed up to even eight to 10 now. Yeah, so they do it's... say in, in a
1: marketing world that the av- average touch points between seven to 13. And that's, that's you might get somebody on that first touch. Um, it might take you like three or four touches or even more. And that mm-hmm. touch doesn't necessarily always mean it's a letter. It could be a letter followed up by an SMS, followed up by some online ads, followed up by a second letter that you might send out three months later. So again, that whole omnipresence needs to be considered in what that looks like to get those deals.
0: Yeah, we, we bought a house from a family, uh, I suppose, about a year or so ago. And uh, it was interesting because the, the the person had passed away, but the family found our postcards. The person had been saving our postcards and putting it, it so it was in the drawer under the phone. And it was a stack of them, and they called us, and, and it worked out. You know, that's it, it's surprising how often that actually happens.
1: Yeah i completely agree we, we've had people call us 12 months later and they're like I've, I've still got your letter and now i'm ready to sell so again i think that that's the other thing when it comes to when i spoke about strategy and sticking with your strategy is to give it time because not everybody responds straight away and and i always say you know this is a relationship business before it's a real estate business and giving the opportunity to build rapport and start a relationship with your sellers that can start anywhere from the week you start mailing to 12, 18 months later when they finally get that postcard and, you know, call you. So it's, right. it's a very hard business to, to measure sometimes as well, but you got to stick with it.
0: Yeah. It's a persistent, consistent behavior that will win every time.
1: Yeah. hundred percent.
0: So, um, you know, so one of the other things I was curious about is since you're in Australia, you obviously have an accent. Do you do any of the, negotiations and talking? Do you have a team that does that now?
1: Yeah, a combination sure of both. Early advice, on,
0: so we- I was going to say early on, you probably did. And I'm just curious of people's reaction to your accent. And
1: Yeah, early on it was me. I was on the phone with our sellers and buyers. Um, it was just me. My partner, Matt, was in the background crunching numbers and doing the, the whole back end, and I was the front end. I was the customer service person and salesperson. And to be honest, it um, – it never got in the way. It actually became an advantage and I'll tell you why because I'm a, I'm a pretty approachable person and I like to, to talk, as you can tell. So a lot of people would be like, where are you from? And they actually, I had one person, I remember one guy is like, I just love your accent so much that I just want to do a deal with you so I can keep talking to you. And I was like, okay, no problem. So the the accent never got in the way. Um, I just always need to be conscious of when I get super excited, I need to sometimes slow down so that people can understand me. But um, it never got in the way. And and because our company, we've got a corporation set up in the US, we've got LLCs under there, we've got our, our title company, our realtor, I always had the right structure in place to be able to say, even though I'm in Australia, for, for lack of a better word, we're located in the US, everything that we do is in the US. So um, so it never really became a problem. And, and nowadays, Jack, we've got a team of three full-time customer service people that take the initial, initial seller and buyer calls. They pretty much run my business for me and they're awesome. They're actually based in the Philippines, but they, they sound fantastic. Um, their service skills are great. And very rarely now do I have to jump on the phone to a seller or a buyer because I've, I've spent most of my time training my team up on, on how to do that. Um, but when I do get on, again, the accent doesn't get in the way. It just becomes a, a nice point of conversation to build some rapport with uh, with my customers.
0: Well, we could probably spend a whole another half hour just talking about, because that that's so awesome to hear that you're, you're essentially now managing a business. Because I think... Um, and I'm going to say that I'm, I'm guilty of this myself. We get so caught up in doing this real estate investing thing. And we usually jump into this trying to earn our freedom. And, and most of us think that earning our freedom is some sort of financial based, which is it is. But in the end, when we take a minute and think about it, what we're really trying to achieve is freeing our time, resources, and, spend, and doing stuff with your friends and family and everything else. And that yeah. typically gets neglected and that, that typically is does, doesn't remain the target, if you will. And uh, I, I wish more people would work towards what you've achieved and, and turn it into more of an actual functional business.
1: Yeah. And look, don't get me wrong. We work really hard. We've got four businesses now in the US and one of them is our real estate business. But again, it's that whole asking yourself the question consistently, do you want to work on your business or in your business? Because right. if you're in it all the time, all that you're doing is just creating another job for yourself, right? Um, now, I've been a business owner for more than a decade. I've had other businesses before this. So I, I, I get that whole that freedom is not just about money, but it's also about time and it's about choice. Um, so we're really busy at the moment, Jack, We're with four businesses on the go and we're building other businesses as we go. But, right. again, our, our, our strategy and our goal for all of those is You work hard to build it to the point that now you can bring in other people to do things for you and then you step away and move to the next project. So you've always got to have that end in mind about how do you want your business to run um, and what is your role in it at the end of the day too. So I still have a daily meeting with all of my team um, for our land business. Uh, I do that first thing in the morning my time and we jump on and we talk about deals and escalated decision points but we've also made sure that we've set up our our CRM and our processes around our business so that a deal will come in, they'll run numbers on it. I'll just check the numbers. Um, Then I put some stuff in our system. They go ahead and negotiate, close the seller. Once that's done, they go and advertise the property, build the content, do the ads, manage them, post them. That's all done in the system seamlessly because we've set up the automations of how deals need to flow. Um, So I think, again, people need to pause as They're building their businesses and think about what's the systemization side of, of how they want their businesses to run. Um, because there's so many systems and processes that can run it for you.
0: Yeah. Well, no. You well, it, it speaks volumes. I mean, you've, you're you're running four businesses now. Uh, That's all about scaling. You know, I we just, it it allowed you to free up the time in order to scale. And frank, frankly, uh, it it gets it. Getting as busy as sometimes we do, you, you get, you ends up being, it forces blinders on you and it doesn't allow you to see the other opportunities that might be th- there in front of you. Maybe, maybe yeah. you do start another business or, or what have you, but it's, it makes things harder. Correct.
1: Um, I agree.
0: Well, uh, I really, appreciate having this conversation. This has been absolutely fascinating. Again, I'm going to say uh, head over to superchargedoffers.com. Learn what Alicia and their, her team can do for you regarding the marketing. But before I let you go, is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered here tonight?
1: I think we've covered or- a lot of stuff. I'd probably, if there was a question or concept, I think uh, discovering a little bit more about why people really get into this and, um, and you know, the decisions that they make to maybe leave their jobs or leave their careers and become a real estate investor. Because a lot of the people I know, Jack, and, and maybe you're one of them as well, we don't have a background in real estate. Um, mm-hmm. And most of the real estate investors, I know majority of them, I'd say about, you know, 80%. Most of them don't have a background in real estate. So sometimes it's about tapping into, well, where does that come from when people want to make that decision to get into this? And what are some of the skill sets that they actually need? Because the thing I see in a lot of groups that I'm in and customers that, that we service is that self-belief around, well, I don't have a background in this, so maybe maybe that's going to go against me. No, it's more about how you learn, where you learn and what you put into practice. Um, because all of us in our careers, we all started somewhere regardless of what we do today uh, and, and we all started with zero knowledge at some point in time. So, you know, I think really talking through like why people get involved and how they put things into practice is something that often isn't talked about in a lot of the education groups as well.
0: No, great point. You're welcome back anytime. I hope you'll take me up on that, but again, yeah, it is Jack, I'm speaking with you. Yeah, this was, this was great. Uh, and I, like I said, I, we probably could keep going, but supercharged And uh, we'll catch you again next time.
1: Thank you so much, Jack. Thanks, everybody. Have
0: you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.